Welcome to Practicing Courage, a space where we're dedicated to exploring what it means to live well and engaging in practices that support finding the courage to do so. Welcome back. I'm so glad to be with you again. Before we jump in, here's a quick note about today. I created this practice to both intentionally build on last week and to be able to stand on its own. I mentioned this to give you some options. If you'd like to engage with these practices sequentially and you haven't heard last week's yet, I'd encourage you to hit pause now and check that out first. If you listened already or you just prefer to stay here, let's get started. Today's practice offers another simple and practical process for increasing the capacity to deal with discomfort and distress. Here's the backdrop. When we choose to make changes in our lives, whether it's changing habits, working toward new goals, changing our relationship to different experiences that may arise in our lives, or choosing to live in greater alignment with what we care about most. The process of change itself often brings both discomfort and distress along with it. And if we're going to be successful in working through this process to realize our potential in big or small ways, then increasing the capacity to tolerate distress is both necessary and valuable. As we begin, I want to share a snippet from a conversation I had with Dr. Kelly McGonigal on the Courageous Life podcast a few years back. If you're not familiar with Kelly, she's a renowned health psychologist at Stanford University, a best-selling author, and is arguably one of the world's leading experts on behavior change. When we were in conversation, I asked her to name a few of her greatest insights about what contributes to successfully changing behaviors, which can be incredibly difficult for a variety of reasons. She pretty immediately responded with tolerating distress and then went on to share this. These are the behavior change principles that I think about when you're trying to transform the way you engage with life because you want to be a a different version of yourself. So definitely know your why and what matters most to you. And then developing the skills to tolerate distress and to figure out what to do with your attention when you're having inner experiences that are pulling you in the wrong direction. So part of that is developing skills of mindfulness so that you can actually feel it in your body. This is what anger feels like. This is what not wanting to let other people down feels like. This is what shame feels like. But also being able to regulate your attention to broaden back out so that in moments of distress, you find a way to connect to your value and what matters most. When I think about what it means to tolerate distress, it is about first not immediately trying to push it away and also recognizing that there are things we can do that bring other things to the moment that can be really supportive. Building on what Kelly shared, today... I'm going to offer one of my favorite practices from the mindfulness and contemplative world for tolerating a very specific form of distress, cravings. Kelly actually alluded to this practice during our conversation and how she was a big proponent of it, but I actually first learned it 
from another habit change expert, addiction psychiatrist, and past podcast guest, Dr. Judd Brewer. The practice is called RAIN, R-A-I-N, which stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and not identify with. We'll dive into detail on this in just a few moments. When I first came across RAIN years ago, I was introduced to it as a way of dealing with difficult emotions, which I still use it for quite often, actually. But when I met Judd and began to learn about his work, he was using RAIN differently. In his evidence-based habit change programs for quitting smoking and craving-related eating, Judd introduces RAIN as a powerful tool for quote-unquote surfing the urge and riding out cravings using mindfulness and curiosity. You ready to give it a try? Let's begin. Part of the reason this practice is called surf the urge is because it begins by acknowledging the way cravings are similar to waves in the ocean. They begin to form, they build rising up, then they peak, and then they crash and come into shore. Understanding this up front can be really helpful, partly because cravings can be overwhelming at times. They can come on with such intensity and invoke urges that feel like they may push us to the brink and beyond. In his book, The Craving Mind, Judge shares how some of his patients describe that when cravings come on, it feels like their head might explode. Perhaps to some degree, you might be able to relate to that. This can be hard stuff. So to know that it too shall pass, that cravings don't last forever, can be a helpful and hopeful starting point for working with them. Now let's get back into rain and work through this process. The first step is recognize, as in recognize that a craving is here. This might be as simple as saying, this is a craving. Or here comes the wave when you feel a craving coming on. As you recognize that the wave is here, see if you can remember that it will eventually peak and then break into shore. The second step is allow. I don't know about you, but cravings to me often don't feel good. In fact, they can feel pretty awful. And when something doesn't feel good, the natural inclination is often to push it away. So rather than follow that natural tendency, this step essentially invites you to do the opposite, to choose to tolerate the distress of the craving, knowing that like a wave, it will pass. But in the meantime, allowing the craving to simply be here as it is. The third step is investigate, which is all about getting curious. This often begins with dropping any thoughts or narrative you have running through your mind about the craving. And then, when you do, redirecting your attention to the sensations of the craving that are happening in the body, bringing curiosity and investigating what do the sensations of the craving actually feel like in real time. Some questions to support investigation may be things like, where do I feel the craving? Is it on the left or the right side of my body? Does it have a temperature to it? 
what are the different types of sensations that I feel? Are they changing or staying the same? You get the idea here. Finally, the last step, the N, stands for not identify with. The way I like to think about this is as an outcome of working through the first three steps of recognizing, allowing, and investigating with curiosity. As you work through this process and begin to move into the role of a curious observer, what can happen is that you may get a sense that you're not your craving, which in itself can be freeing. So let's make this more concrete. I'll share with you a common example of how I use RAIN actually really often, pretty much daily. Ding! A notification for a text or an email comes through. As soon as that happens, speaking for myself here, of course, a craving is here, at least most of the time. So I take a deep breath. Then I recognize, here comes the wave. And I check in with myself. Can I allow the wave to be here? Usually the answer is yes, but not always. The answer can depend on what the craving is or the situational context I may find myself in. If the answer is no for some reason, then I won't go any further in rain, and I'll do something else. I'd invite you to do the same, as there may be times where being with a craving for whatever reason just isn't workable. The intention here isn't to push forward at all costs, but rather to challenge yourself in kind and supportive ways as you feel ready to. So coming back, if the answer is yes to the question, can I allow the wave to be here? Then I allow the wave to run its course. If I'm in the mood, I may even say something like, let's surf, or here we go. Then I get curious and begin to investigate. Oftentimes I notice I have some sort of narrative or story about the craving. The first step for me in investigation is dropping that story and redirecting attention to the sensations of the craving in the body in real time. I notice where I feel it. I become aware of the different types of sensations, the temperature, where the craving is strongest, and I continue to investigate, doing my best to become that curious observer. This curiosity helps me to ride the craving out and to sort of naturally not identify with it so strongly. In reality, the practical outcome is that this often helps me to not habitually check my phone every time it dings, which isn't always so easy. And over time, I've noticed an increased ability to sustain focus and attention for longer and longer periods of time. And this practice has given me more internal strength and confidence to be with cravings in all different forms not just around notifications. It's sort of fostered this internal knowing that I can surf the urge. I'd like to close with this. This practice, in my experience, certainly is not a panacea, but it can be a worthy experiment to try out in your life and see, does it help you to increase your capacity to tolerate the distress that cravings can bring on and ultimately, does it help you make the changes that you might desire to make in your own life? Finally, here's a quick recap. 
This week, when a craving arises, whether it's a ding on your smartphone, a craving for certain food, or something else, I would invite you to first recognize the wave of craving is here. You might even try saying to yourself, here comes the wave, or something that feels right to you. And remember, waves rise, peak, and then break into shore. Second, check in with yourself and see, can I allow the wave of craving to run its course right here, right now? If you can allow it to be here, invite curiosity. If you can't, then honor your needs and take whatever skillful action is more appropriate for you in the moment. Third, get curious. Drop the story about the craving and feel into it. The different sensations, the temperature, where you feel them, what you notice, whether they're changing, etc. This investigation is a different way of relating to craving. When you choose curiosity, you're riding the wave. Finally, after working through the RAI of RAIN, see if your relationship changes and you don't feel as identified with the craving. As you do, you might also pay attention to the moment in real time when the craving ceases. This can be a powerful direct knowing of the temporary nature of cravings and may also lead to reinforce an internal confidence that comes from seeing yourself successfully ride the craving all the way to shore. If this practice piqued your curiosity, I'd encourage you to check out past conversations on the podcast with Dr. Judd Brewer and Dr. Kelly McGonigal. And if you want a deep dive into Judd's work, I'd encourage you to check out his book, The Craving Mind, as a starting point. Thank you for your practice today. I look forward to continuing with you next Tuesday. Thank you.